allowing us to uh, validate some things that we thought were practical and out there and be able to then share that with people in practice so that as they're doing their work, uh, they've got some more clues as to what to look for, what are flags to watch for, and um, ask more questions and intervene when it might not have been obvious that someone was at risk for suicidal ideation or some type of behavior. A new way to study mental health illness and suicide risk is on topic with IU. My name is Kenny Smith with the Media School at Indiana University Bloomington, and I'm speaking with Dr. Sahung Hong and Dr. Betty Walton, who are researchers and professors in the Indiana University School of Social Work. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Dr. Walton, uh, you study behavioral health services for children and adults, and you do a lot of work uh, with tools that help assess and assist children and adults across public service systems, including uh, child behavioral health services and a great deal more as well. In a nutshell, explain this to me as a person who knows that these services exist, but not so much about the day-to-day inner workings. What is your role and how are you involved in all of these things? Uh, well, thank you for asking that. Uh, our My role has been to help uh, collaborate with the state agency, the Division of Mental Health and Addiction, and community-based behavioral health providers, as well as uh, other service providers across the state to implement a collaborative, person-centered approach to providing uh, recovery-based services in behavioral health and in child welfare. And Dr. Hong, your research areas include cognitive psychology, positive behavioral interventions, and mental health and educational well-being. Lately, you've been working with the state's Department of Mental Health and Addiction on an integrative data system that supports something called outcome management tools. Tell us just a bit about that as we get started here. Most of my study relate to problem evaluation and research on outcome management, the how-to outcome management tool improve the mental health the um, status like uh, psychological disorders and also the addictions. So we use the statewide administrative data, including uh, demographic diagnostic data and adult need and strength assessment called ANSA and the treatment service data. So the ANSA is a comprehensive assessment tool um, over psychosocial factors identifying the strengths and needs of the individual with the mental health challenges and also substance use. So those instruments uh, was a primary of my research concern. And also I try to utilize those data to support decisions and uh, uh, to monitor outcomes in the state-funded behavioral health system. And so with an understanding of what it is that uh, you each individually do, it sort of makes sense how this paper, at least in the early going, starts to come together. And we're here to talk about this paper today on this episode of On Topic with IU. This work you're collaborating on, you've called it Examining the Intersection of Mental Illness and Suicide Risk in the Shadow of a Pandemic, a Machine Learning Approach. First of all, I'm intrigued by the machine learning approach part of this, and I want to discuss a little bit about the entire aspect of it. But let's start there. Without giving away all of the details of your research just yet, how does the machine learning part figure into this as a project? Let's think about uh, uh, what's the size of data. The uh, state of Indiana collected lots of information about the individual who got involved in the behavioral, behavioral health services. 
So it's a longitudinal data. It's more than 10 years old data. And individual repeatedly got involved in services. That means one person's uh, at least more than two duplicate data. And then if they received uh, more than two uh, services per year, that means it's a multiple, like 100,000 people multiplied by two per year, that means uh, we have a millions of data, data set. It's a huge among us, humongous data. So machine learning is a part of service of artificial intelligence that allowing, allowing us to utilize massive, massive amount of data and then variable to develop predictor prediction models or identifying critical factors among the those all different type of different set of data sets. So as I mentioned, our state of Indiana data, including diagnostic data, assessment data, individual demographic data, and service data. So if we counted those number of variables, it's more than 100. So if we try to use those 100 variables into the um, traditional regression model or largest regression model, it didn't work. So it does not work um, with a traditional um, form of the analysis, statistical analysis. That's why we look at the, the utilization of uh, the machine learning approach that give us more room to explore all possible intersectionality of the different variables. So with that much data, I'm not crunching that in a simple spreadsheet by hand on a notepad, anything like that. Let's let the machines take over. We have that technology. That's fascinating to think of having that much data to consider over a decade of time. So you're doing all of this, setting this up to study mental illness and suicidal risk. How do you operationalize that? What's the end goal in that sense in terms of the study and the, and the if you'll forgive the crude term, the, the, the data crunching that the computers are doing here? I think I better um, start with the, the uh, background information about the suicidality study. The, according to CDC, CDC report, the number of deaths uh, due to intentional self-harm or self-injurious behavior for 100,000 population in the U.S. was uh, 14.8 in 2018. Indiana was a little bit higher, like uh, 16.3. That was uh, higher than U.S. average. And then we specifically look at the demographic data, black people and males uh, in the overall population of Indiana presented much higher rate of deaths than, uh, than the U.S. averages. The rates of deaths among whites were 18%, uh, 18 18.2% and the 18.6% for Indiana and U.S. respectively. There is slight differences when you look at the white people, but we focus on the black people or people of color and males. The percentage, the rates are significantly different from the uh, Indiana statistic compared to U.S. population. So, we try to identify when we examine the individual who got involved in Indiana behavior, behavioral health services. The statistics is a little different. Females like 56% uh, 
show the higher rates of suicide risk than males. So that's a different from general population of the Indiana. So why show the higher rates of suicide risk than black? So the rates of suicide risk for individual, individuals in Indiana, Indiana's behavioral health services were totally different from overall statistics in Indiana. I mean, statistically significant differences. So they could have uh, those kind of differences resulted in African-Americans and males being less likely to utilize behavioral health services for suicidal risk or suicidality. Well, we can say the individual involved in state-funded mental health services could have uh, different or unique characteristics compared to general population of Indiana. So in the pandemic year, every the report uh, highlights how those harsh conditions influences the people's mental health and then how much they uh, got, got through the difficult times. So there is an increased uh, rates of female with a suicide risk from uh, 53.5% in 2019 to 58.4% in 2020. That's also a significant increase. The, based on those kind of increased uh, rate of uh, the suicidality, the individual, the number of individuals with the suicidality, high suicidal risk, in the, uh, we can look at the decreased how the decreased risk for suicidality could be possible. That's how we start to look at our data. So that's why we focus on the utilization of the machine learning approach to the massive statewide data. So when we, uh, first, we tried to identify the critical factors that associate with uh, recovery from suicidality it means uh, the reduced risk of suicidal, the reduced number of the uh, individual who identified as a, uh, having the high suicidal risk. So in the machine learning algorithm, we could develop two models. One was, one was for the prediction model for individual uh, who could have the suicide risk in Indiana behavioral health services. The other was for the prediction model for individuals who could successfully reduce the suicide risk. So first one is related to prediction model of the, the individual who, uh, uh, who are at high risk for suicidality. Second one is identified the uh, protective product, uh, predictors, which associated with uh, the reduced uh, risk of suicidality. So in the first model, we could identify the 77% of individual uh, with a suicidal risk had a depression, and also 43% of them had a sleeping difficulties. Therefore, the sleeping, we can say that uh, sleeping and depression could be considered most significant two predictors for identifying 
individual with the suicide risk. And um, for planning person level, the treatment or intervention. So in the second model, we also found that reduced risk of suicidality was largely dependent on the reduced risk from the uh, sleeping difficulty. When we uh, rendered the machine learning algorithm, it was was 24% of the individual with a suicidal risk who got reduced risk after resolving or sleeping issues. While the percent of reduced risk from depression associated with the improved suicidality risk was only 0.5%. So 50% versus, uh, 24% versus 0.5%, we found the significant differences when we look at the two uh, key predictors like uh, depression and sleeping difficulty. But these findings uh, highlight that uh, for the individual in state-funded the mental health services in either 2019 or 2020, it's a, a relatively short period of time. The reduced risk of suicidality was largely dependent on the whether individual got recovered from the sleeping difficulty. There was, a, there was a no effect of gender, age, and race ethnicity for, for the prediction model of reduced risk of suicidality. So that's the one of the interesting finding from the, our study. Dr. Walton, it sounds like we're putting some really seriously substantial data to things that we might just hear, I don't want to say anecdotally, but just as, as common advice. I, I When we started this podcast, for example, at the beginning of the pandemic, I was speaking with a, a clinical psychologist in the university who was saying, you know, take walks, make sure you get good sleep. This is standard good advice. But now you have, as, as, as Dr. Hong has said, this incredible amount of longitudinal data over a decade that really puts numerical uh, quantitative evidence to the argument there. Is that right? Well, it, it really does. Uh, there's a model of recovery or well-being that's out there, which is this kind of practical advice. And so we, we really know, and this study backs up, that uh, when we're not doing well, we it tends to show up in things like sleep and depressed mood. And uh, also it's important to stay connected to other people and help people have a purpose in their life. And so although that might not show up as directly in the study, it goes along with that practical advice of taking good care of yourself. But if we notice ourselves or a friend or family member or colleague who's not doing well, Um, it's an opportunity to intervene and ask, well, how are things going? Are you all right? That's not going to make things worse. That will help us identify and be able to intervene. And Dr. Hong, speaking of one of the models as a predictive model, I I think it's probably important to say the obvious here. It's not a necessarily 100% absolutely certain sort of red flag, but if I were to see this in a friend, a partner, someone along those lines, this is something I should be paying attention to in another or myself as well. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, one of the key findings from the, our research is a, uh, it's a form of how much to what extent we utilize the pre-existing data in terms of statewide the administrative data. 
So we still need more detailed information like the other type of medical services or much qualitative with the family structure, life event, or other variable is still missing. If we add those kind of colored information, our prediction model could be improved. But at this point, based on pre-existing statewide data, like state-funded behavioral health services data, this is, uh, I think, if we focus on the short-term period of time, the who got involved in behavioral health services in 2019 or 2020, those people only got a, 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 a most two times services or assessment. And then within within this population, we can say the sleeping is most important and critical predictors to reduce the uh, risk of suicidality. I don't believe I've met a scientist yet who did not want more data to help refine their models and projections. <laughs> so that tracks. Dr. Hong mentioned this a moment ago, Dr. Walton, I wonder if you could explain a little bit more about the adult needs and strengths assessment test. And this is where I'm assuming all of this data is coming from. So what is it that um, I, I'm assuming that's a state agency level sort of test or, or information that gets to that level eventually? What is being gleaned specifically from uh, these sorts of assessments, the adult needs and strengths assessment tests? It is used in practice in the behavioral health system across Indiana and several other states across the country. There's a children's version that's used almost in every state uh, across the country. And these tools are used in collaboration with individuals who are coming into treatment to help identify the strengths and resources they have, as well as needs that interfere with their functioning, and then together agree upon a plan and monitor progress, change things as they go. Uh, that information can be used in an agency to support monitoring programs, improving and developing programs, informing policy where you see gaps in services or things not going as well as we might expect. So it's commonly used. The data is rolled up into the state database, de-identified and has been uh, made available for our use and research. But it's limited, as Dr. Hong mentioned, to uh, people who are in treatment. And so you can't generalize from this to the whole population and people who are in treatment in publicly funded services. And so that's a limitation of the data. But on a practical side, it's very useful to have some idea about what kinds of needs or strengths are related to a particular issue or need like suicide risk or to the idea that someone might get better and be able to use that in deciding how we're going to intervene and uh, help people manage their health and uh, recover. Well, that was the thing I wanted to ask the both of you next. Uh, you're talking about this in a sense of it's a, both a preventative technique and an aid in recovery. Um, when you operationalize this in a practicable way, and Dr. Walton, you're already sort of hinting at that. It's an, an anonymized data that you're receiving, so it's about the context of the people involved. But there is, there's generality, but there's not generality. It's it's one of those sorts of circumstances. But when it's ready, when you take it from theoretical and you put it into practice, what are the goals here? Well, the goals are to uh, help involve people in uh in services, the more uh, an individual's involved in their own recovery, that is a protective factor and tends to support getting better. So the process itself is helpful. And then the information that we gain from it can inform intervention planning 
and improve outcomes. And so that's the goal and purpose of doing this. If the both of you, Dr. Hong, Dr. Walton, you take this back to policymakers, to those people working on the ground, social workers, doctors, and so on, people all over the state that might have a, a vested stake in helping others with this sorts of data, what are the takeaways that you want them to get from this sort of work? From the, my perspective, the, based on the research findings, uh, depression may take a more time to get recovered. Uh, if a person is suffered from depression or depressive symptoms, then needs a more the collective uh, holistic approach to get people uh, really recovery from the, those kind of symptoms. But sleeping difficulties that could be easily or the most um, the effectively recovered from the short amount of time. So if somebody got a the some kind of uh, attention or the actionable needs on the, the uh, sleeping issues, the service provider or practitioner could have a certain type of uh, innovation crew or innovation strategies to help them get recovered from the sleeping difficulties. Same sort of question, Dr. Walton. If you're giving an elevator speech to uh, someone who has potential to to sign a piece of paper that makes some change based on this sort of data, what's the thing you want them to walk away knowing about your project here? Well, in general, not just about this particular study, but in general, the purpose is to help us focus on individual change for people and have that be the focus of our direct services as well as our programs and how we run our organizations. And so that might be a little different than the way we're doing it. But if we were indeed focused on personal change and monitoring that and using that information to guide our practice, uh, that could have a different result than if I'm uh, looking at it from a more business point of view. So that's part of the intent is to keep us focused there and uh, focused on improving outcomes. Uh, And uh, when I say recovery, though, uh, this is recognizing that for many people, that might not mean that their problems go away. It may mean that I'm able to manage my health problems and become more resilient and build more skills in coping. Um, and that is valuable. And if I can be connected in a meaningful way to my community and to other people, uh, a person can live a, a high quality of life despite having physical or mental health uh, needs or problems. That's an important distinction. I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you very much. I'm very fascinated personally with uh, scholarship that involves brand new ways to try and discern information. And that's part of the intrigue of of this particular study that you all are working on here, the machine learning approach. It seems to me, as a layperson, quite innovative in this sense. Is, Is that what you're getting in terms of looking at what your peers across the country are doing? Is this a new way to process this much data and to put it into practice? I think the, uh, my colleagues and other people get started to look at this kind of approach because uh, the nationwide, uh, many the states the got involved in TCOM process, the, uh, this answer uh, can part of a TCOM, and then the, it's a kind of a state level, the data they already collected. And they, they are in, at the stage of uh, the, how to utilize those data to improve practices. 
So machine learning approach is one of the way to uh, provide the better services or better decision making in the behavioral health services. As I mentioned uh, earlier, the, it was only 24% of uh, individual with a suicide risk who got reduced risk after resolving the sleeping issue. So still there are uh, 76% could not be identified by our model. That means there are other possible variable or unobserved uh, predictors out there. So that means more collaborative effort needs to improve our approach and also the collaborative effort with the state of Indiana, Division of Mental Health and Addiction is also a critical part of this kind of approach. When I was trained and my research abilities and Dr. Hong's going to probably chuckle at this, but uh, (laughs) they're more the traditional basic approach. And I can do some things with this kind of data, but it's much more limited. And and, uh, you have all kinds of challenges with huge data sets and making sense of that. If it wasn't framed within the available research that's out there, that's why we started with some context and background as to why suicide is an important thing to look at. Uh, We also need to look and understand what we know, what's in the literature out there, because if you have big data sets like this, there will always be associations and relationships among items. So one caution is that you have to frame it carefully so that these are meaningful relationships and that you build models that as best we can reflect reality. But uh, don't just say because there is an association that that is really important. So this is new. It's pretty new. Uh, Dr. Hong mentioned the TCOM community community that's uh, transformational collaborative outcome management. That's the framework behind all of this work. And so there are other universities and people putting this into practice and human services all across the country and few other places around the world. Um, And for most of us, uh, this is pretty cutting edge stuff to use this type of approach. It's new. Uh, We're learning about it and its possibilities as well as its limitations as we go. So, um, but to Dr. Hong, this is pretty business usual to me. It's uh, rocket science. So So that's a great way to get to the last question that I have for you both. Uh, Just each of you, uh, a short answer, if you don't mind. We'll start with you, Dr. Walton. What's one of the positive things that you're taking away from this research, either in what the data is telling you or for you as a scholar, either one? Well, a positive thing is that it's allowing us to uh, validate some things that we thought were practical and out there and be able to then share that with people in practice so that as they're doing their work, uh, they've got some more clues as to what to look for, what are flags to watch for and uh, ask more questions and intervene when it might not have been obvious that someone was at risk for suicidal ideation or some type of behavior. Dr. Hong, a positive you're taking away from this. Yeah, I always, oh, as a quantitative researcher in the behavioral health services, I'm always grateful to utilize such wide the secondary administrative data in behavioral health. It's very sensitive data. But still, we use the de-identified data and then try to find something 
influence the improvement of the practical setting. So those kind of collaboration could be possible with, uh, without any the good relationship between the IU's group of social work and then FSSA's Division of Mental Health and Addiction. So with, uh, along with those kind of pre-existing the collaborative effort, I'm more than happy to the, digging into this kind of approach to identify or support the decisions uh, and then to provide some practical improvement in the behavioral health, behavioral health services. Dr. Sahung Hong and Dr. Betty Walton from the Indiana University School of Social Work, thanks to you both for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks, Kim. And we thank you for joining us as well. For more information, follow us on social media. On Topic with IU is on Facebook and Twitter. You can subscribe and download this podcast from services like SoundCloud, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Anchor, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Just search On Topic with IU on your favorite podcast provider. From Bloomington, Indiana, for On Topic with IU, I'm Kenny Smith. <laughs>